So good morning, everybody. My name is E. Reese. Uh, I'm the executive pastor here at The Surge. If you're visiting with us, we are so glad that you're here with us. We are uh, continuing our story uh, with Character Sketch, talking about Peter today. And I have to say it that, you know, I actually grew up in Oklahoma where fishing is a much bigger deal than it is in Northern Virginia. Um, so this may not be quite as funny to you as it, as it was to me. But my own fishing story, is a, is a, it's a sad one. It's a very sad one. Um, <laughs> so my, my, problem, my problem is this. There's a fine line, there's a line between fishing and standing on the shore looking like a doofus. <laughs> and and the, I keep crossing over the line. I keep crossing over the line. I don't, I don't mean to do it. It's not intentional, but I keep crossing over the line. So uh, I was a kid, gosh, this was many years ago now. Uh, and so some friends of mine were really getting into a fishing kick and they wanted me to go with them. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I keep crossing over the line. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to make excuses. They're like, no, no, come with us, come with us. It'll be fine. So I go with two friends of mine. Uh, one of them uh, is named Dave, David Callahan. He's actually a Grammy award-winning videographer at this point. He's just got video superpowers. And the other guy was a guy named Les Jones, who's a pastor in Georgia. And so these two guys are with me. I'm standing on the bank. They, they say they gave me one of their uh, poles. They hooked me all up with, with the whole thing. And so we're fishing on the shore. I'm standing there looking stupid. And so literally, we're all standing in a line. They're catching fish left and right, and I'm catching nothing. So I'm standing right next to them and not catching anything. And so at some point, it gets to be kind of funny. And Dave says, says, you know what? I've got like the last guy, the magic lure. He says, you know what? I've got this special lure. I'm like, don't, don't, don't give me. He, he says, no, no. This is a lure given to me by my grandfather on his deathbed, he, he pulled out his magic special favorite lure, and he left it to me. So I'm like, do not give me the lure. He's like, he's like no, no, it's, it's a special lure. I've never failed to catch a fish with this special lure. I'm like, do not give me the lure. And so we're standing on a creek, and it's really not that deep. It's probably three or four feet deep. And so I've already got it in my mind. I'm going to snag this lure on a tree branch or, you know, something, and I'm going to go in after it. I'm not going to lose this guy's this magic special lure. And so he opens up this tackle box, and he's one of these guys who's very prepared. So we had like a tackle box, it opened, and then it opened again, and then the inside opened again. And in the middle of the tackle box was, was a little box, um, and inside the box was another box, and inside that box was his special magic lure. Um, and so there was, a, there was a thing, he pulls it out, and it, it really was glorious, it was pretty. You know, it was like green and different colors, and he had all this stuff, and um, so this is a, just a little spiritual reminder, <laughs> you can have a... Excellent. Um, so, <laughs> all right. Yeah, it is me, guys. You remember, you met me, right? <laughs> okay. So, um, so he gets the lure and he puts it on my thing. And the entire time I'm telling him, do not give me the lure. Don't, don't do it. Don't give me the, don't give me the lure. And so he ties it on my line. And, and at this point, even my other friend Les is going, dude, don't, don't, don't give him the special lure. <laughs> and I'm going, yo, no, 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 don't give me the lure. He says, no, it'll be fine. And so I literally get, get the lure and, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. This, this actually happened as I remember it. I cast the lure, and it was one of those horrible, awful moments when time slows down. You know what I'm talking about? Like when the keys are locked in your car and the door is closing, you know, back in the day. You know, you're like, no, 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 no. So the lure goes up, and it actually spun and glittered beautifully in the sunlight. <laughs> you know, it's like it kind of, it reflected really nice, and then just slowly, slowly went down to the water as it's going down to the water, and it, it touched the water, just kissed the water beautifully, and little rings spread out from the lure. And I mean, within one second, it didn't touch the water. One second, a fish this size splashed, hit the lure, and before I could let out the line, zzz, pop, and snap the line, and his lure is gone. It's gone, <laughs> and I can't, I can't go in after it. It's gone, and I'm going, no, wait, 
wait, wait, what, what? And, my, and I look over at my friend Dave, and he's like, uh, uh, you know, I'm like going, no, no, <laughs> the Lord's gone, you know, the Lord's just, just gone. And, and the fish immediately goes back. I mean, it was a big fish, and it was like old man in the sea level fish, I mean, you know. And the fish went back down to the underworld from whence it came, and the lure, lure is gone. And, and my friend Les goes, he told you not to give it to him. You know, it's like, but the lure is gone. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry the lure is gone. It was terrible. Uh, so, so anyway, so the, this, I really haven't been fishing since then. It was so traumatic that I, that I, you know, I destroyed this guy's, you know, lure and his family heirloom. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know. And the thing that he would have handed down to his children and his children's children is like, no, nope, not so much. So, but today we're talking about Peter. So we, we've gone through the character sketch series. We've looked at Elisha and talked about, talked about seeing things differently and about a prophet of grace. We've talked about the character of Luke, who was a fascinating study for me at least. Um, maybe the best historian who's ever walked the planet. Um, writing about this guy named Jesus that you may have heard of because of his, his fine work. And, you know, just the wonderful things that he did. We also talked about Mephibosheth last week with this wonderful, wonderful picture of grace and how even if we're broken, God's not done with us yet. Well, today we're actually going to talk about Peter, who was, wait for it, a fisherman. <laughs> yeah, it all, it all comes together. Um, but he was actually a really good fisherman. So, so what we're going to do is, is in, the, in the idea of character sketch, the big idea is this. We can look at biblical characters and look at an overview of their lives and look at some of their adventures and some of the things they did maybe some of the things they didn't do. And we can learn lessons that apply to us and that are helpful for us based on their life. We don't have to go through all of the lessons ourselves. We can actually learn some by proxy, which is good. But one of the things that Peter does, which is really interesting, he's one of the most storied characters in the New Testament. So there's so many great stories about Peter. We don't have time to tell them all. But one thing I would notice is this, is that we, we get so much of the Gospels are from Peter's perspective. He's a main character on the stage doing stuff in a lot of these great stories with Jesus and in the book of Acts. And, and part of it, it's actually, it's actually a writing technique that, that Luke uses, but also the other authors of the gospel. And it's called, it's the idea of a limited narrator. So that we have a character that doesn't know everything, or we see things from their perspective. Um, think Lord of the Rings. It's like, why is it from the perspective of the hobbits? Well, the hobbits don't know everything. So when they go to, they learn about the elves, or they learn about the dwarves, or they learn about the ring, or they learn about all this stuff. Well, as they learn that, the reader can learn that too. It's a literary technique, and it's really effective. And Peter fulfills that role for us to some extent in the New Testament. He's the guy that doesn't have it all figured out yet. We kind of watch him figure it out on the way, and then he grows up into, you know, the guy who's seven feet tall and glowing and casting miracles and doing the good stuff. And so, but but we don't. He doesn't start there. He starts there as a guy who's a fisherman, a lot like us. And, and he's not sure how, the, how this works, and we're not sure either. So it's easy for us to identify with Peter as he fumbles around a little bit, as he struggles with this truth of who Jesus is, when he, that he asks the impertinent question. And this is why Peter is such a great character for us. We can identify with him and be inspired by him, stepping into his greatness as the story goes. So what can we learn from Peter? So we're going we're gonna to start with where we land today, and it's this. Here's what we can learn from Peter. One, it's not too late. It's not too late. And we'll, we'll unpack that in a minute. The second thing is, be honest with God about where you are. It's okay to be honest with God about where you are. And the third thing is, let God change your picture. Okay, so with our character sketch, our process has been, and we'll, we'll do this one last time, is to kind of do an, a 30,000-foot overview of their life, kind of where they went and those kind of things. We'll focus in on one great story and then talk about how that can apply to us. So 
in the first century, fishing in Galilee was good business. Um, they had a tilapia, which actually is still served today, but this is the fish that, that Peter was primarily fishing. Um, it was a kind of tilapia. They, they did a, a catfish that the Jews didn't really eat catfish because of dietary restrictions, but they sold it to the Greeks across the way and, and did very well. They did these little sardines, which was the, the fish and loaves bit was probably sardines. They were really small. They were cheap. They were portable. They were nice you know, for a lunch on the way. And then they also did, with the parts that were left over, they actually did these barrels that would be pickled and fermented. They would leave them out in the sun, and it would kind of make this fish sauce. So the, the pieces, parts, the fish heads, you know, the leftovers, they would put in this thing, and it would make this, this fish sauce that, that kept really well and apparently was delicious. The Romans loved the fish sauce. They used it at almost every meal. It's called garum. I'm not saying it right, but garum. So... They'd be salted, they're sold around the area, they're sold in Jerusalem, it was a primary source of protein, it was all over the empire, and between the tilapia and the catfish and the sardines and the garum, fishermen were wealthy. They, these guys made a lot of money. Uh, the garum was a million dollar, multi-million dollar business at the time. So the boat that Peter would have used would have been a 23 foot long boat, about seven, eight feet wide, it could crew 10 to 12 guys, it could hold more than a thousand pounds of fish beyond the netting, and all of the implements of destruction that they would use to catch the fish. So unlike me, Peter was actually a good fisherman. He was wealthy. He had at least two boats, we're told in the story, probably more. He was in a, a business that was actually doing really well. And so he wasn't just this poor little fisherman who was, you know, doing his best and standing on the shore looking stupid. Like, no, he was actually probably a pretty wealthy businessman. He was actually doing very well. And so when Jesus calls him, he actually was leaving a thriving business. And by the accounts, it looks like Peter knew Jesus and had even met him a time or two before he actually became a disciple. It says that he healed his mother-in-law before, Luke recounts that story before he's called. Andrew uh, goes and sees Jesus speak around the area. He runs back and tells Peter, you've got to see this guy. I think he's the Messiah. I think he's the real thing. But this is before they're called to be his disciples. And so you've got to remember, this is not, we, we, we think of the area like Northern Virginia where there's, you know, five million people within 10 miles of here. But no, this is Galilee. This was a very rural area. Everybody knew everybody. They probably knew who Jesus was. He's teaching around the area. They probably knew who he was. And when he started casting miracles, they probably heard about the miracles because, you know, in a small town, gossip and uh, stories make the, make the circuit very quickly. But as he goes, when he, he's called into the, the circle of disciples, in, the, in this ministry, Peter becomes uh, very much in the center of the action. There are too many great stories starring Peter to tell this morning. But he was one of the inner circle. He was, he was there for lots of moments that not everybody was there for. He was in the room when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Christ in a glorified state with Moses and Elijah. He's the guy that jumped out of the boat and walked on water with Jesus. Late in the game, he was the one who put words to what is still the center of our faith. Who do people say that Jesus is? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. At the resurrection, Peter and John ran to the tomb. John beat him there, but Peter, in his, bold, his characteristic boldness, was the first one inside the tomb to see if there was anybody still in there, and, and it was empty. He was the first one in. On the day of Pentecost, it was Peter who delivered this iconic message, this great message of, you know what, you crucified him, he popped up out of the grave, and you know he's, he, can, he can deliver us to salvation. And it was Peter who led 3,000 people being baptized in one day, jump-starting the very first steps of the early church. Peter, later in life, he lived an incredible life, an incredible life. Uh, angels 
busted him out of prison at least twice that we, that we know about. He was full of grace and power. Early on, there was a guy that said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, I'm hungry. Do you have any spare change? And I, I learned it in the King James, so just forgive me. But he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. <laughs> I, don't have any, I don't have any money, but you're now healed and get up and walk. And there are even stories that the, the power of God was on Peter so strongly. He would be walking through a crowd. His shadow would touch someone who was sick and they would be healed. I mean, God was all over this guy. It was amazing. Um, he, he was married. We know that he was married. Paul mentions that he travels with his wife. So we don't know that much about him later in life, but we do know that he was the first one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius in the book of Acts. And he wrote two letters that we have as First and Second Peter. Tradition has him writing these from Rome. He was an incredible, he was an incredible man. He was an incredible character. He was the rock of the New Testament church. He was martyred. Uh, tradition has him crucified. Actually, tradition has him crucified on the same day as Paul, of all things. And he, he asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. He was an incredible man. As we zoom in, I want to look at the story where Peter really comes into focus. Uh, now, during the Last Supper, Jesus tells Peter that he will betray him, as, as we know, multiple times. And before the night is over, <laughs> there are things going on. Peter says very strongly that it'll never happen. I'll, I'll, I'll never deny you. But when Jesus is arrested, we have this harrowing scene of Peter outside the Sanhedrin as Jesus is going through his you know, mock trial. And Peter's trying to see what's going on, but he's also trying to not get too close. And he's recognized. Weren't you with Jesus for the last two years or so? Weren't you walking around with him and living with him and doing stuff? And he's like, no, 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 that wasn't me. That was some other guy that looks exactly like me. Uh, it was another fisherman. And, and, but he denies Christ famously three times, and he's incredibly dismayed by his own betrayal of his Lord and of his closest friend. After the resurrection, Jesus appears bodily to lots of folks around the area, and one of the most poignant of these scenes is the one I want to focus in on today. It's a scene with Peter where he replays the moment of their calling, and he restores him to the mission. It's an incredible story. It's a little bit long, but I want to, I want to read it. It's, this is from John 21, 1 through 19. Here we go. <laughs> After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. <laughs> they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. <laughs> you know, you're on the wrong side of the boat. So they, they cast it, and they were not able to haul it in uh, because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he had seen this scene before, he put on his outer garment where he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but only about 100 yards off. When they got on land, they saw, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And all there were, there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? <laughs> but they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so did the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, in Greek, there's something really interesting going here that we don't get the full impact of with English. And, and many of you have heard this before, but it's one of those things. It's, it's so much fun. It's, it's, it's okay to do again. So there are Greek words for love. Um, one is, you know, eros, which is the, the squishy hallmark romantic love. There's the storge, uh, the don't make me pull over. This is the love between parents and children. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't make me pull over, I'll do it. Uh, but it's love between parents and children. There's philia, which is basically friendship. But it's not just Facebook friends. It's like, no kidding, close, lifelong friends. It's real, just true friends. And then there's the idea of agape, which is this divine love, this transcendent, God-breathed love. Now, in Greek, the primary tenses would be agapeo or philio. And what I want to do is I want to read part of that passage again, because Peter and Jesus are actually using two different words for love. And so I want to call out the, the different words for love. So remember, agapeo is the God, God divine love, Filio is the friendship love. So, uh, John 21, 15. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. <laughs> so it's not the same word. He said to him, feed my lambs. He says to him a second time, son of John, do you agapeo me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I filio you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you Filio me. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you filio me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I filio you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So what about us? What can we learn from Peter, especially from this passage with the, with the Greek? The first thing is, it's not too late. It's not too late. I just want to say it. <laughs> you, know, you might feel like it's too late. It's not too late. You might feel like you've done. You're done. You might feel like you've messed up too many times. Your terrible decisions have boxed you in. There's no way that God could use you. I'm telling you right now in this room today, if you're still breathing, it's not too late. It's not too late. And this spark of hope, this simple truth of hope is one of the most powerful aspects of spiritual life. It's a primary difference between Peter and, say, Judas. Judas did not have that spark of hope. <laughs> he could not be restored. But don't give up. No matter what the circumstances are, don't kill yourself. Don't give up. Don't phone it in. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the circumstances are, it's not too late. One of the lessons we learn from Peter is this. Even when things are darkest, it's not too late. It's not too late for God to show up. It's not too late for him to make breakfast. It's not too late for him to have a conversation and to change everything. Let God interrupt your plans. I'm going fishing. Yeah, let God interrupt your plans. Let him, and even if you're going back to the things you know, give him permission to redirect you. Give him permission to change your vector, change your direction. It's not too late. And the idea that it's not too late, it changes everything. Second thing is this. Be honest with God about where you are. In the, in the whole, do you love me, back and forth, there are three denials. The three denials that he had the night before Jesus was crucified, and now he has him affirm his love three times. There's, there's a, 
a cool symmetry to that. But I think the three denials brought a humility and a brokenness to Peter, maybe even an honesty and a depth about where he really was that, that we hadn't seen. Maybe it was there, but we hadn't seen it in the Gospels in exactly this way. And the affirmations of love come in a set of three to balance and undo things. But more than that, Peter is really honest about where he is here. And I think this is a powerful, this is a powerful thing. I mean, I mean think, about, think about it this way. If the, the encounter between Peter and Jesus had happened, say, two weeks earlier, you know, you might have gotten a different answer. Do you agapeo me? Of course I agapeo you. <laughs> you know, you're like, I would never let them betray you. I would never let them kill you. But now the table has changed. A, a really tough chapter for Peter has been written. He's less certain about himself. He's less certain about his real commitment. He's less certain about where he is for real. And I don't think this is a bad thing. I don't think this is, this is a lack of faith. I think, it's just, I think Peter has just become painfully aware of how very far away he is from God in his own power. He can't get it done on his own. Uh, do you agape on me? Even if he wants to say yes to that, he can't say it in good conscience. You know I feel you. It's very self-aware. It's very painfully honest. And then the third time when Jesus changes the word, it says that Peter was grieved. Of course he was. Was it because he asked him three times? Sure. I mean, you know, it's like, yes, I love you. But in part, I think it's also because the change of the word is an acknowledgement of where Peter is. It's, it's very honest. And, and look, we don't want to admit our limitations. We want to agape, oh God. We, 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 want to, we don't want to fall short in, in specifically this way, but we do. The thing I love about this is, and man, he does this over and over. Notice how Jesus responds. One of the best things about the Gospels is, is if in any situation that you can find an analog to, you can go, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he did it really well, it turns out. It's so very perfect. You know I feel he owe you, you know, but in response, Jesus doesn't slap him and tell him to try again. He doesn't stomp him. It's no, it's feed my lambs. On the second round, do you agape owe me, Lord? You know I feel he owe you. He doesn't light him on fire. He doesn't say, I didn't ask if you feel he owed me. I asked you, you know, I asked you a different question. You'll probably betray me again tomorrow. Thanks a lot for that, by the way. He, he could have, you know, he could have sniped him. He could have slapped him. He could have, he could have been really mean to him. Um, but he doesn't do that in response. He's incredibly kind. He's incredibly kind in this back and forth. And it's tend to my sheep. The third round, God once again shows us his heart. And we see this over and over and over in Scripture. It's not that we make our way all the way to God. No. God knows where we are, and he comes to us, right? He goes to find Adam in the garden after he's messed up. He sends Nathan to Daniel, to David, sorry, to confront and to restore him. He leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one who is lost. He's the father and the prodigal son running out to the, the son who has been lost. The father runs out to the son. He doesn't wait for the son to make it all the way there. And here again, here again in this wonderful picture of grace, he doesn't leave Peter where he is, shamed, disconnected, but he meets him halfway. He meets him out where he is. This is mysterious, and this is very, very good. God will meet you where you are. You might feel like you've messed up, and yeah, you did. You didn't imagine it. Peter actually denied Christ. It was very bad, but God still loves you. He still loves you, and he's still coming to you right now where you are to restore you and, get this, to put you to work, <laughs> you know, to, to get you to do something. Feed my sheep. There's a gap between 
where God wants us to be and where we are, between where God wants us to be and even what we're capable of. Do you agape on me? Well, we can't get there. Lord, you know I feel on you. And there's this gap. But it's in this gap. It's, it's not a bug. It's a feature. This gap is very good for us. It's where we learn about faith. It's where we marvel about God's power and his ability. It's where we transcend our own stupid pride and our own ability and our capability and the stuff that we can get right. It's where we learn to love and trust and do more than we ever thought we could do. It's in this gap that God actually sets us up for. It's, it, it, feels, it feels like a setup when you're first doing it. But when we understand that God will make up the difference in this gap, it's this wonderful journey of love and trust, and he uses the gap to deepen us, the difference between agapeo and phileo. So here God speaking to you this morning, meeting you where you are. Do you phileo me? And be honest with God. He knows it anyway. He knows where you are. <laughs> you know, he knows, you know, it's okay to be real with him. And don't be afraid of the gap. It's all part of the show. So last thing, and this is really fun. So <laughs> not too late. Second thing, third thing. Let God change your picture. Let God change your picture. Look, Peter was, he was a fisherman. <laughs> he was called to service with a fishing miracle. He pulled a coin out of the mouth of a fish to pay their taxes. He watches Jesus feed 50,000 people with what? Fish, with wait for it, fish. He's restored to Jesus in another fishing story. Hooray, Jesus is cooking fish on a charcoal fire. You know, he's going to make him a fisher of men. And yet, in this interchange, notice the words that he says. It's critical. It's absolutely critical. When Jesus calls him to service in this story, not talking about the fish so much anymore. He says, feed my lambs. <laughs> he changes his picture, changes his story, right? He, he talks to him in shepherd metaphors. And so, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Christ is changing Peter's understanding of what his role is and what his role is going to be going forward. He's not a fisherman anymore. He's going to be a shepherd now. <laughs> and he's calling him to this in a very, very powerful, powerful way. I'm going fishing. I'm like, nope. You're going to be a shepherd. <laughs> it's like he, he redirects him, and he changes his picture and his primary way that he sees himself with God. This is really cool. So listen to this. Peter got the message, and, and he very much a shepherd of the early church. We can watch him play that out in the book of Acts. But if you look at, especially the, I'll just do the book of First Peter, but, but look, look, at these, look at these words. Look at what he says. First Peter 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, <laughs> but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Chapter 2, for you will straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, <laughs> right? And overseer of your souls. Skipping down to verse uh, chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful game or eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Isn't that cool? God changes Peter's metaphor, and it's stuck with him. And when he's writing to the church in later life, it's like, shepherd, shepherd, sheep, shepherd. He knows, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And he's very focused on being a shepherd. God changed Peter's picture. And he can do the same thing with us as well. It's not too late. Be real with God. Let him give you a new picture for the road ahead. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day that you've given us and, and pray that you would just remind us of the wonderful things that you have for us, that it's not too late, that, that we can be real with you where we are, and that, Lord, that you can change our picture. I, I pray that now and throughout the rest of this day in particular, you would speak to us powerfully about what that picture is, where you want us to go, 
what this might mean for us. And Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing, that you would just call us, that you would spend time with us, that we would be able to accept your direction and your kindness, and that you would speak powerfully to us about what that picture is. Draw everyone here, everyone at the surge, into a deeper focus than we've known before, and just release us to do good things in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.